Louise Wade used to say at 102 and almost 103 years old, here today, gone today. What she acknowledged in this small phrase was something that, well, good-natured people don't like to talk about. The inevitability of death. Every man, woman, every child that has ever drawn breath will or has died. Louise passed away in February of this year. And at her funeral, I made my favorite counterintuitive proclamation as a pastor. With her casket in front of me and her cold and lifeless corpse shut within, I said to those in attendance, Louise Wade is not dead. And I make that same proclamation at every Christian funeral. Because to be absent from flesh is to be present with the Lord. And to be in the Lord, even when we are absent from flesh, is to be patiently awaiting the final resurrection and the final victory of Christ over all death. But a, a fair question comes to mind. How? How will the dead be raised? And it's to this question Paul will turn his attention this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we consider verses 35 through 38 together. Thus far, we've seen that the entire chapter is built around the resurrection. Paul told us in uh, the first four verses that Christianity has two pillars, the substitutionary death of Jesus and the justifying resurrection of Jesus. If you have one without the other, you have something that is sub-Christian, something that is useless and unsaving, something that is ultimately unsatisfying. Any Christianity emptied of the blood of Jesus, any Christianity that leaves Jesus buried in the Middle East is no Christianity at all. It's of no value. But Paul says, I want to make clear to you the message that you are being saved by when you believe it. That Christ has been crucified for our sins according to the scriptures, that he has been buried and that he was raised on the third day according to to the scriptures and then he goes on to tell us who this saving message is for and what we find when we analyze these characters who were witnesses to the resurrection of christ these people who interacted with the resurrected jesus we we discover that the gospel is for people who have screwed up a hundred times that the gospel is for people who are of the idea of christianity that the gospel is for people who have hated to the point of persecuting and killing Christians. We discover that the gospel is for those who have no reputation. Those who are not worthy to be named because nobody would know who they are. The gospel message is for anyone who will turn from their sins and believe in Christ. 
Paul then goes on to verify the truth of the resurrection with these witnesses and to remind us that if the resurrection isn't true, then Christians are to be pitied. Anybody that gives their life to a lie is pitiful. If the message of Christianity is not true, it's, it's not worth believing. It's not worth living by. And we saw, Paul says, but it is true in verse 20, as it is Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He says to us, In the verses that follow, because Jesus has been resurrected, so too shall we be resurrected. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. And last week we considered the transforming power of the gospel message. That the the truth of the resurrection means that we live differently now. Because we know there is a day coming when the dead will be raised And evil and sin and sorrow will be squashed beneath the righteous boot of Christ. People who have nothing left to lose. We can live as people who are sold out for the gospel. Entirely devoted to making Jesus' name known. And so we, like Paul, can die daily to ourselves or face death every day. And this morning, as Paul answers this question, well, how are the dead raised? We'll discover two promises of the gospel. That indeed, we will have resurrected and transformed bodies. And that we will share in Jesus' final victory. Let's pray and then we'll get into the text. Father, we ask that you would forgive us of our small-heartedness. That you would expand the chambers of our hearts, that we might receive more of your grace and be made more like you. We pray that your word would be oil in our souls so that we might more easily be obedient to your word, that we might more run smoothly according to the Spirit. Pray that your word would be as oil in our relationships. It's hard for us knuckleheads to love one another. Pray that you would help us to do that by your grace. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. And we ask that you would do it once these verses. God, make us feel your presence afresh. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you turn up just a little bit more, I'm asking you to turn me down a little bit because I don't think I can. I can't. You can't make me happy.
Paul responds in Paul-like fashion. You fool! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And he's saying they're foolish, not, not because the question is foolish, because, but because the, the question seems to be rooted in a doubt of God's ability to raise the dead. A doubt in God's ability to do whatever he says. And so Paul, after calling them fools, is, is going to illustrate that God is capable of doing whatever he wants. He's powerful enough to raise and change dead people. And so what he's going to lay out for us are three illustrations, all right? It's going to be an agricultural illustration, an illustration from the world of biology, and then an illustration from astronomy. Be really careful, I, I almost said astrology, uh, and so astronomy there is a difference, I think. Uh, and so, well, first of all, he tells us the illustration from agriculture. You fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds, its own body. This is fairly obvious to those that are in agriculture, I think, or, or those of you that, that farm, right? You, you, you bury a seed in the dirt, almost in death, and then it, it germinates and springs forth from the dirt, in the case of wheat or crops that grow above the ground, in resurrection. It starts out with one body as a little seed, and then it's transformed into something that has continuity with the seed, right? You get um, wheat. Uh, is seed a seed? I, I should have researched that. Uh, but it, you get corn from corn seed, right? Or what kind of cantaloupe seed comes from cantaloupe. Whatever seed you plant, that's the kind of plant that you're going to get. That's the point here. Obviously, I don't farm, all right? Or keep a garden. Give me a break. At any rate, I think this is true, the, the seeds that you plant will yield the plants that, that you planted from the seed, but it'll be a different body. And so you know this plant comes from this seed. And so we have a little bit of a peek here of our own resurrection, that our bodies will look different, they'll be transformed as plants are, but there will be continuity with the old. We'll be able to tell how the new came from the old. Additionally, this should just... This is like a basic thing. Paul's saying, you're so foolish. Like, haven't you, these people used to farm a little bit more than I do. And so they would know you plant seeds and then something new comes up from the ground. And he's saying, just, just look at the world around you. This is how the resurrection will be. You will go into the dust, you'll return to the dust, but you will have a resurrected body that will be transformed. And you'll have some continuity with the old. I think we miss kind of how, how mind-blowing agriculture is just because we're, we're just desensitized to it. But think about it. If you didn't know anything about plants or how, how things grew from the ground, like the kids have those projects where they cut the egg carton in half and then they put the dirt in and have them put the seed in and put it in front of the sun and you're like, watch out, big surprise coming. And I'll sit there and watch sometimes like it's supposed to happen right then. Like, no, 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 a couple days from now, surprise will come. And you get those little sprout things. There's probably a name for them. But the top starts, the plant starts growing. And kid is like, what? This is magic. 
I mean, this is awesome. It really is awesome. And Paul is saying, just like a seed is planted and then it bursts forth in life from the ground, so too will people die and then come to life. And it will be awesome. God can do this just as naturally as he causes plants to grow from the earth. Next illustration comes from the world of biology in verse 39. He says, not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, and another for birds, and another for fish. This makes good sense. Pretty straightforward. Different animals have different bodies for different environments, right? You don't go home and, you know, when you put your hand on the back of your spouse's neck and feel scales, right? If you do something's wrong, right? We know that the different beings are given different bodies. That's what Paul's saying here. It makes perfect sense. And they're suited to their environment. He, he plays on this again when we look down in verse 50. He says this, What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. And so he's saying the, the body of the, the world we're currently in isn't suited for the world that we will be in. It's a little bit like a, an astronaut if he goes up into outer space. I don't know how many people can really relate to this, but, but what the astronaut doesn't do is in the spaceship slip on some skinny jeans and like a little cardigan and then just step out onto the moon, right? No, he's got to get in the space suit and have that oxygen and all the other in parts of the environment controlled because his body is not made for the elements that exist in outer space. Likewise, our bodies are not made to be before an infinitely holy God because they're riddled with sin. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Corruption cannot inherit incorruption. We need new bodies, a different kind of, of flesh. Paul here is saying that, that God gives bodies to each creature according to its design. He continues with an illustration from astronomy, verse 40. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Here's his point. If God can give what is a proper body to seeds, if God can give a proper body to bears, if God can give a proper body to planets, he can give a proper body to those that he raises from the dead. God is capable of making new that which has wasted away. He's capable of making human beings that are eternal from the dust. And then he gives us a little contrast. Sown in corruption. Raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor. 
raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. His, his point here is he's contrasting the bodies that we are in now are bodies that die because they are riddled with sin. And he's, and he's contrasting that body with the body we're going to have. He calls it the spiritual body. It's not that it's ethereal or that you can't touch it, but it's the, uh, the body that is made for the new heavens and the new earth that has been resurrected by the Holy Spirit. That's the contrast here. So let's think about the bodies that we have now. Look at how he describes them. Corrupt, dishonored, weak. I think these words are understood a little bit more acutely the older you get. Some of you know these, these truths a little bit better than others. Some of you can remember the day uh, when you've started to read like this, when you have a book in your hand. This is real far away. These eyes start to get a little worse. Some of you can remember that hairline starting to recede, starting to go bald. Some of you can remember sitting in the barber's chair, just minding your own business, having your hair cut, and all of a sudden, the stylist like slips that buzzy thing into your ear to cut that inner ear hair out and thinking to yourself the only person that ever had inner ear hair like that was my grandfather and he was really old some of us have felt our bodies start to fail physically so that we require walkers or, or canes to get around and all of us if we live long enough We'll eventually come to that point where we require someone else to dress us and to clean our bedpan. Corrupt, dishonored, weak. This is the body that we are in now, showing the effects of sin. The point here is that your body has a shelf life. Like a gallon of milk you purchase from the store, there is a date at which it will start to turn and become wretched and useless. You will die. Are you ready to die? There's only one way you can be ready to die. And that's if your faith is in Christ Jesus. Because if it's not, this corruption and this pain and the, the sorrow that you experience now will pale in comparison to the wrath of God that is due your sin. That is due to those who persist in rebellion against Him. You will be raised not to life and blessing but to death stretched out across eternity. Your, your physical death is only a picture of a spiritual reality that does not end. 
Hell is not a popular thing to preach these days, but it's a very real thing. And your own body's decline is teaching you about it right now. There is only one escape. It's to be remade in the image of Christ by faith. Jesus on the cross absorbed the infinite wrath of God due our sin in our place. The punishment that would bring those who put their faith in Christ peace fell upon Christ. And he rose again to show that his sacrifice was acceptable to God. Rose again to vindicate his claims and to guarantee that we will also resurrect. This is the only way you can be ready to die is if you've given yourself to Jesus. Those who are united to Christ by faith can look forward to the second parts of these verses. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Benjamin Franklin thought he was going to die at one point in his life from what was likely a lung disease. And so he wrote his own epitaph. And and this is what he wrote. The body of Benjamin Franklin, printer, lies here. Food for worms. But the work shall not be lost, for it will appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, revised and corrected by the author. Those who trust in Christ will be resurrected and given a more elegant version, revised and corrected by God. Paul then begins to teach us a theological lesson, which he has already um, begun teaching us in verse 21. This is what he says, verse 45. So it is written... The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is a man from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. It's picking up this theme that he brought to our attention back in verse 20. He said, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So so what he's telling us here is he's contrasting Jesus and Adam. He's saying Adam was originally our representative and he sinned and rebelled against God. We've inherited his sin and we continue in his sin. 
But when God the Son, God himself, took on flesh and came to earth as a man, he was our second representative, a a second Adam. And he did everything that Adam should have done. He did everything that you and I should have done. He, He lived the life we should have lived. And then he died the death we should have died. So that by faith in him, we can have the hope of the resurrection. Paul argues from their, their origins. He says, Adam came from dust. But the second Adam, the second man, Jesus, came from heaven. One is temporary, the other is eternal. He says, Adam became, sorry, the first Adam became a living being. And the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Here's his point. Adam was made to be alive. Jesus makes other people alive. Adam was the first part of humanity. Jesus is making a new humanity. He started over. And all of us bear one of either Adam's image or Jesus' image. Does that make sense, what's being laid out here? If you do not put faith in Christ, you continue to bear the image of the man of the dust. But if you do have faith in Christ, you will be like the man of heaven, eternal. You'll have life from the life giver. Paul qualifies all of this argument in verse 50, which we've already touched on. He says, what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. You've got to change. You've got to be made new. Last week, uh, after church, Chelsea and four of my five kids went to uh, Virginia Beach on a temporary trip. And so I had to do some things I'm not quite used to doing in my home. Uh, Caden was left with me because he has school. And so I had to pick out his school clothes which I thought I did all right at. Um, I had to make breakfast, all that other stuff too. It was great. Um, but on, on this Tuesday, I guess, one of the second day, uh, he asked me if he could wear the pants that he had worn the day before. And I said, of course, that makes my life easier. Don't judge, it's okay. So anyhow, he, he the next morning uh, gets these pants that he wanted to wear again, and he puts them on, and I notice, not because I'm observant, uh, I probably, it was probably that way the day before, I don't know, but I noticed there are two large holes in the knees of these jeans, coupled with some grass stains. And I say, you know, it's picture day, <laughs> you, can't, you can't go looking like that, right? And Paul is saying a similar thing here about us. You can't go looking like that, your body that has been broken by sin, your body that is wasting away, it's not, it's not good enough for heaven. You can't go looking like that. He says, listen, I'm telling you, verse 51, a mystery. Mystery in Pauline thought. When he writes mystery, he's not saying like we don't have any idea what this means. He's saying it used to be a mystery, but now it's been revealed in Christ. It's something that we've come to understand through Revelation. He says, I'm telling you this mystery. Two parts. We will not all fall asleep, so not everyone is going to die. There will be people here when Jesus returns. Here's the second part of the mystery. 
we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. A transformation has to take place. We have to be made right physically and morally in order to inherit the kingdom of God. He continues in verse 54. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Notice this. Paul is ending this chapter where he started it in verse 58. He says, your work in the Lord is not in vain. And if you go back to the the first few verses, what he's saying is, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And he's saying, you haven't believed in vain if you believe these things that Christ died for our sins and was resurrected from the dead. If you believe that Christ is resurrected from the dead, you can live in light of that. You can live as somebody who has nothing to lose at all because your end is not vanity, but victory. What you do now for God matters. Your life matters. The sorrows that you endure, the trouble that you encounter, it it matters. All of your life matters to God, and he's using it for your good and for his glory. He's using it to the end of bringing about his great victory. The end of the Christian life is not vanity, but victory. And this is incredibly encouraging. We're going to be made like Christ, and that that there's not anything meaningless about your life that has purpose. Uh, Joni Erickson Tata has battled paralysis most of her life with a diving accident in her teenage years, and and she said this in regards to the resurrection. She says, you know, though, I always say that in a way, I hope I can take my wheelchair to heaven, or the new heavens and new earth, with me. I know it's not biblically correct, but if I were able, I would have my wheelchair up in heaven right next to me when God gives me my brand new glorified body. And at that point, I will turn to Jesus and say, Lord, do you see that wheelchair right there? Well, you were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble, because that wheelchair was a lot of trouble. 
But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. So thank you for what you did in my life through that wheelchair. And now I always say jokingly, you can send that wheelchair to hell if you want. Our bodies will fail us in this life. But even in the midst of that failing, in the the midst of the, the struggles that come with that, God is teaching us a lesson about how sin infects and kills and destroys and how Jesus brings life out of death. Even even these terrible things that we encounter now, even your deepest sufferings are going to be flipped on their heads so that they become not a source of agony, but a source of glory in eternity, a means by which God is honored. Like you're going to be able to say, as Joni does here, God, the weaker I was in that old wretched body, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. This is true not only in terms of our physical bodies, but in terms of our our just emotional hardships. In terms of encountering circumstances that, that feel like they are going to shatter you into a thousand pieces. God can redeem these. God can bring death out, or bring death, bring life out of death. And he will. He's promised us that the end is not vanity, but victory. Verse 54 says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? This is kind of a taunt of death, almost a song. Uh, But sometimes I, I think we try to get ahead of the Bible on this. Verse 54 says, When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then this saying will take place. You see, right now, we still feel death's sting. But right now, our bodies are still corrupt, still heading towards the grave. Right now, when someone dies, we mourn them. And it hurts, and and we're right to mourn. But we don't mourn as those without hope. Because we have a hope. Not a fairy tale hope, not a cross your fingers and hope kind of hope, but a real hope. Because Jesus lives. Because Jesus conquered the grave. There's another side of this sting of death. And it's the person that actually dies. See, while those of us who are still in a world pervaded by sin, while those of us who who are left behind mourn them, they are rejoicing. Again, to be absent from flesh is to be present with the Lord. And so, in the sense of uh, dying and, and going into agony, that doesn't exist anymore because Jesus has domesticated death in a way. He's taken the sting out of actually passing through into the eternal. 
that means that we can live dangerously. It means you can, you can give your whole life to Christ. Because you know, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? You could die. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Right? I had a, a friend of mine tell me the other day, I was sitting in traffic, and I said, this, I've been in this traffic for an hour and a half. This is awful. And he says, it could be worse. You could be dead. And having read through 1 Corinthians, I quipped back, no, traffic is worse than death for the Christian brother. This, this life now is the worst life you're ever going to have. That should encourage you. Last uh, December, stars aligned, and uh, Chelsea and I were able to take Elliot and Owen to Disney World, a land of magic. It was awesome, for the most part. I was kind of grumpy one day. She'll tell you about it if you ask her. We're not going to dwell on that, though. Uh, at the end of the day, I remember... Uh, you know, the night had come, and they were doing, like, a Christmas party thing, and so all the Disney characters get dressed up in, like, Stan and Elle's outfits, and they have this fake snow, like, just blowing across the Magic Kingdom, and it's just awesome. But I remember, like, running and getting on that last roller coaster and, you know, carrying Elliot on my shoulders. Oh, I'm emotional all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, putting him in the, the little stroller with Owen and just walking as that manufactured snow fell down, and it was awesome. But if you're a parent, you know this happens. Um, the kids fall asleep in the car on the way home. And, and we get to the hotel, and, and we're taking the kids in. And, and he does what all kids do, if you're a parent, you've experienced this, where there's that momentary just piece, moment in time where they wake up, like as you're carrying them, and like push back and look at you like, I was just there, but now I'm here. Like, I, I was just in the stroller beneath the falling of snow and the Christmas party, but, but now I'm coming into this hotel room. Where, where, how did I get here? And then you realize, like, oh, I'm in daddy's arms. Just wrestle back, nestle back in there, kind of fall asleep. Friends, this is, this is what death is like for the Christian. It, it will be as if waking up momentarily and going, wait a minute. No, I, w- I was just there. Just watching a football game. Now, now, now I'm here. Where, where am I? In my father's arms. And resting. This will be a, a gain for the Christian. But do notice this. The sting of death remains in this sense, even for those who have passed into the presence of Christ because they are absent from flesh, disembodied. And so, just as we wait for Jesus' return, so too do the saints who have passed into death wait for his return. Because then we'll be able to to sing this taunt of death with full gusto. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? But the truth is, because our God is a God who keeps his word, and keeps his promises, we can sing this even now. Knowing that the victory is certain. Knowing that our lives and our pain is not in vain. Because the sting of death is sin, and Christ bore the curse of sin for us. And the power of sin was the law. 
But Christ fulfilled the law for us. Remember, the law is, is of divine origin. It's not bad in and of itself. It's meant to show us how we are to best love God. But because we are sinners and we would rather do what we want than what God says, the law ends up functioning uh, like a black light that reveals fluorescent molecules. It shows us all the sin in our lives. It shows us our, our need to be rescued, our inability to save ourselves. It also shows us that Christ is who he said he was. That he fulfilled the law perfectly and earned the blessing of God for those who trust in him. He's taken the curse of death for those who will trust in him. And because we have trusted in him, we can, while we wait and work for God, sing happily. We know that the victory is Jesus. We can know that, the, that our current sorrows will be drowned out by the anthem of victory. We'll be able to sing. We can sing now. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain of all glory and honor and power. We can sing that because Christ reigns and is resurrected. And like him, we too shall rise. Let's pray. Father, what a great hope we have. We thank you that our hope is certain and sure and secure. It's more certain than the rising of the sun in the morning. More certain that it's setting in the evening. The resurrection from the dead is more certain than our next breath. God, we thank you that we have this hope. We thank you that our lives aren't meaningless, but that you are using them to draw us closer to yourself, to bring about good, to bring about your glory. We thank you that in Jesus, you are reversing death. You are reversing sin. We thank you that in the new heavens, in the new earth, everything will somehow be better for having once been lost. That you are using even the worst of things to magnify yourself. God, you are so good. Your might is beyond our comprehension. Our language is inadequate to praise you. And yet still we will try as we sing in response to this great gospel. In Jesus' name we pray.